Geometry and Nexus access all areas. My name is Bee and I will be co-hosting this series of podcasts with my Nexus nerd Hayden Murdoch. We will be delving deep with you all to explore everything there is to know about this iconic band of brothers in Excess, sharing music, tours, videos, albums and oh so much more. Well, hello, welcome to Excess Access All Air, is episode 176, the podcast that dives deep into the Excess anthology and aims to get them into the Rock Hall of Fame. Doing it with my sidekick B and a bunch of patrons and fans and listeners around the world. Hello, B. How has your in excess 10 minutes off in the last two weeks been? <laughs> no, it's been brilliant. Actually, I've really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed going back and listening to um, our interview with Alex. He was an absolute diamond. So much information there about Hollywood and about in excess. I hope you all enjoyed the uh, double episode that we just dropped. Thank our listeners for our patience and thank B for her extra editing skills. But as we anticipated when we were interview- interviewing Alex the other week, uh, we did know that we were going into extra territories. We have broken it up into two parts. So it's the same episode in terms of numbers, B, but it's a two-parter within the 175, isn't it? That's it, part one, part two. Don't forget, part two. Yes. <laughs> and look, uh, again, thank you to Alex uh, Preuss for coming on and thank you also to Nick Egan who uh, had a nice little addition there we pulled out of our archives, our archives, uh, where he gave uh, a little acknowledgement to the, I guess, the the filmic sort of quality of Kiss the Dirt and uh, really gave some really great praise. Even if he didn't remember Alex's name, he loved the clip and we hope that Alex has listened to it. Uh, that's Nick Egan from the Kick album cover fame and video fame, giving one of his peers a massive endorsement. Fantastic. Now, B, has anything come across your NXS desk in the last two weeks? Because uh, uh, I guess we are. We just come off the Grammys yesterday and uh, we're going to talk about that in a moment's time. Anything in your NXS world that you want to share? Not really. Let's just no? get... No, no. No? I had my head down and uh, just getting those double episodes out. Uh, oh, let me have a look, see if I've got anything here. Mm, my NXS week. Nah. All right. Well, I'm going to go early on something. You know me, I'm always conservative. I never announce a guest until they're virtually in the can or whatever. But uh, we can say we have had uh, email approval that Mark Pellington from Beautiful Girl fame, video director of that, and uh, uh, U2's won. And equally, he uh, did Pearl Jam's Jeremy film clip, which won uh, plenty of awards along with many movies. He's going to be coming on the show in the next couple of weeks, B. So can't wait to chat to him. Yes, yeah, a big favourite for a lot of people, that video and song. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, meeting him. Whereabouts is he? He's in America, is that right? He's in California. and uh, That means we've got to get (laughs) up early, doesn't it? California interviews add five hours to Australian time minus a day, so they're always a bit tricky. But um, we will find a way. Like the we things did in the past. we do for you, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So our episode's going to be a little bit punchier today. As I said, we know we've got a bit of content out there for for those who have already listened to us this week with the two parter with Alex Proyas. Pretty excited today, B. We're going to be going through uh, a little bit about the year two thousand, where NXS and the world entered the new millennium or the millennia, or however you pluralise it. But uh, uh, that year 2000 was an interesting time globally and in excess we're, you know, really in a tough period coming off, you know, Michael's passing in 97. So we can extract on that topic a little bit further today. We might just welcome our patrons and get into it first, eh? What do you think? Okay, let's go. I'd like to say hello to everybody outside on the highway. I just want to say hello to everybody outside. It's about 10,000 people at least. Hello. Well, hello to our honorary members, Tim Farris, Nick Egan, Mark Opitz, Richard Simpkin, 
Cameron Adams, Mary Woods, Darren Jones, and Paul Joe Lee. Our patrons, Carmen, Laurie, Carrie-Anne, Danielle, Sarah Markham, Sarah Camia, Dr. Jim, Katie, Lisa Mack, Anne-Marie, Susan P, Pedro, Mandy, Amanda H, Amanda V, David, Paul, Ella, Ryder, Tony, Erica, Abigail, Martin, Jim, Jackie, Sheila, Shannon, Brett, Suzanne, Laurel, Bar, Genevieve, Shelby, Manny, Laurie, Jill, Heidi, Paula, Lisa, Nancy, Juliet, Scott, Anthea, Maria, Tracy, Vernon, Jamie, Diana, Stefan, Andrew, Georgie, Stephen, Keisha, Mark, Vern, Mandy, Nick, Sula, Amy, Diane, Paul P, Paul B, Alicia, Jay, John, Amberette, Kathy, Chantel, Neil, Mary Ellen, and our new patron, the Harmonic Wizard, Wizardum. <laughs> and our special mentions are to Sue D, Joe Robbins, John A. Vink, Michael Spriggs, Glenn Davis, Paul Boozy, and Helen Kirkwood. And a massive happy birthday to my gorgeous friend, Sarah Markram, as well as Jackie, Shannon, wow, there's lots of you, Tracy, Stefan, Vern, Alicia, Neil, and Glenn. Happy birthday, guys, and welcome to the podcast. All right. Well, uh, also thank you to Chantal, who uh, very excited. I think she is seeing her name up in neon lights. Uh, you know, part of the patron team. Uh, good on you, Chantal. Uh, and also thank you to Juliana, who's reached out. She's she wants to put a donation in B. And as you have said many times, if you are more comfortable putting a one-off donation in, you can go to the PayPal account area B, and people can what punch in their details and then be a, a donator rather than just a patron. Yeah, you can just um, find us via our email, which is inxsaaa at gmail.com, and we will pop up and you can just pop in whatever you think we are worth. Fantastic. <laughs> so, we are getting very excited about our show today, but uh, what's the time for? It's time for the rant. I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window Open it and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. All right, B. Well, I've, I've had enough and I'm fed up, okay? I, I am sick and tired of award ceremonies where ungrateful artists, particularly in the rap community, are getting up and absolutely slamming the official uh, decision makers of Grammys. Jay-Z, yes, you. You're in my firing line today. You know, you between you and Beyonce, you have 41 Grammys and you're still not satisfied. In excess, who arguably have had 41 times better the career than you, have got no Grammys and only three nominations. Yet you get up there and because Beyonce doesn't win album of the year and a white girl like Taylor wins it, Tay-Tay, you get up there and, and cry a foul. Not long ago, we had poor old Kanye West get up there and give uh, Tay-Tay a hard time 10 years ago when uh, she picked up video of the year. And last year, Mr Will Smith got up at the Academy Awards and decided to punch out Chris Rock because he wasn't happy with something said in the audience, no sense of humour. And then uh, 10 minutes later, he wins the bloody Best Actor of the Year, but still not happy. 
B, I'm fed up with all these actors and rappers and people who have awards that virtually go to them all now in terms of that rapping community, yet they pillage and, and steal all their best tunes and lyrics off the artists who originally made them. Mm-hmm. Most of these artists, okay, out there didn't actually create the melodies and the tunes and half the lyrics themselves, but they just took a bit of music and then put some sort of gangster thing over the top of it, win all the awards, yet are still not happy. I've had enough of it. I've had a gut full of it. And all I'm going to say to anybody out there, if 41 Grammys doesn't sate your appetite, okay, nothing else will. And all I would also add to it is that Bowie, okay, David David Bowie, John Lennon, all of these fantastic artists, okay, Jim Morrison, they'd be turning over in their grave to think that you would have to go out there and solicit for Album of the Year. Awards are given and granted. They're not demanded for. Oh, too right, too right. Yeah. I just think there's a situation at the moment with this entitlement. Like entitlement, ja- I Jay- get it. Jay Z got up there and said, "You know, we expect to get up here and be told you're brilliant and, and you're great and I'm great and I'm the best, the best of all time." No, 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 no. Be humble, pal. Yeah, they're they're humble. just a piece. Of, mm. They're just a piece of metal. They're all contrived mm. by the music industry. Mm. Okay, mm. you got forty-one of them. Mm. Poor old Beyonce, she's sitting there. Okay. Tell oh, your Beyonce. husband to shut up, okay? Yes. Come on, Beyonce. Tell mm. him to put a finger in the in his mouth, not on, on, on your finger. Right? Put a ring on your finger. Put a ring on his mouth, okay? <laughs> All right, because I'm just sick of it. All right, uh, Hayden, I'm stop. Careful. Shut yeah. up. Okay. Right. But I did watch the movies, some of it, yeah. and um, Miley Cyrus's um, interview um, speech, did you get to hear that? She was quite humble and she says, you know what, I'm glad that I'm here but it doesn't mean anything. But it does mean anything. But she okay. snubbed her down out. Okay. Well, Miley Cyrus has ripped off Bruno Mars's song to win the Flowers video song of the year, whatever it is, okay? So she can shut up as well. She can put a ring in it as well. <laughs> What about our Kylie? Well, I'm pissed off with her because, you know oh. what, she trailed in the footsteps of Michael, okay? She wouldn't be Stop eating it. without Michael. Right, I'm turning you off. I'm turning you off. We'll just put Hayden in the corner for a moment because nobody does that to Kylie, do they? So let's hope that he'll come back after a little bit of meditation. B, I've, I've, had, a can- I've, I've had a Mogadon, a whiskey and, and, and a red wine. I'm happy now. I'm relaxed. But they can all put a ring in it. <laughs> I think I've calmed down now, B. What's the time for? That's good, because now it's time for the news. Hi, this is Sarah from Sydney. You're listening to In Excess, Access All Areas, and now it's time for the news. All right, B. Well, I have calmed down now. I've got that off my chest. I feel very good about it too, and I've even got some great news to even put myself back into a good mood. Okay, this particular week, What's just come back into the charts at number 50 in Australia? None other than the very best of in excess. It's back in the charts. Oh, there you go. Why? Why? Maybe it's post uh, the Michael birthday and a few different things there, et cetera. The charts are always about a week behind. So That's true. Yeah, yeah maybe the last week of January, a little bit of Michael love in the community. Uh, yes, and Boy Swallows Universe because that's gone global, hasn't it? So hearing yes. in excess's songs might have, yes. Uh, might, yes. Well, I, I looked at the charts over the weekend, as I do every week, just to check, and it's gone from 59 to 50. It's now ha- uh, now officially it's had 398 weeks uh, in the top 50 uh, and probably another 100 weeks on top of that in the top 100. 
but it was number 58 for all of 2023 in Australia. And I think we only had four other Australian artists in the charts last year uh, make the top sort of uh, 100, which is a bit sad because mm-hmm. it just means that our you know music community here isn't quite getting enough artists being heard. So kudos in excess on that stat. But, yeah, more Aussie artists need to be given exposure and, and listenership, I think, B. Absolutely agree there. Uh, moving along, uh, there was a cool little article called, uh, from Old Time Music, talked a bit about Shining Star and trying to deep dive into the meaning of the song. So Google Old Time Music slash Shining Star and you'll see that little article. Uh, also, kudos and friend of the podcast now. He's now been officially made a, a friend of the podcast because he said nice things about our band. Uh, but Slash, uh, during the week, uh, was doing an interview with some Australia. Uh, I think he's got a tour here coming out. So he's doing some press and he happened to say some uh, things about uh, doing some work with the Angels, uh, Greatest Hits album coming up and maybe doing some guitar parts. But when pressed on Australian music, he said that, uh, you know, I, I really hated a lot of music that came out of the 80s, but there's one band I really loved that stood the test of time and that was In Excess. And then I sort of Googled a bit more on that and then I found an Induct In Excess article where Slash is talking about supporting In Excess back in 1989 with Guns N' Roses saying it was one of the worst concerts that they played, uh, not the band, as in In Excess, but they were on. But, yeah, it was a good little article uh, uh, that Slash or comment Slash had to say. He said a lot of, you know, Dross came out of the 80s, but Inexus was one of the most brilliant pop bands that were around at that time and uh, he he really rated them. So official member, friend of the podcast, B. Yes, we love you. Having said all of that, uh, he's not an honorary patron like Mark Opitz and others, okay? But he's a friend. (laughs) (laughs) You might move up later, Slash, okay? Slash, Slash, come on the show and and, and do a cover cover of uh, In Excess's Time with the big guitar licks and uh, you will become a patron. Having said that, uh, it is the 30th anniversary of In Excess's song Time and the video and the single got released. Uh, uh, Thank you to Matthew Marsland, MM, uh, who did a great little uh, post about that track overnight and uh, some of the deep dive stuff on that. It was probably released in Australia and Japan and some of uh, Asia, but uh, hit number 36 here. But great video, great song, great guitar licks. The very same weekend, B, uh, we've just come off the weekend celebration last weekend of uh, Need You Tonight hitting number one in America. And our friend Timmy of the band has that little chart thing in his little studio, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, that was cool. The one thing he had in his little studio we interviewed, we noticed, and he was very proud of it. Yeah, you know what? I should screenshot that, shouldn't I, from our little video with him? If you can and zoom I in on that. I might do that, yes. Okay. Coincidentally, Original Sin was the other number one hit that In Excess achieved in Australia on the very same weekend uh, four years earlier in 1984. So that's just celebrating 40 years, B. The two number ones they had in those two continents were on the same weekend, albeit four years apart. And there's a good little um, Eric Alper tweet on that, uh, who's a good friend of the band. Moving along, there's also uh, some Good little press out there with John Stevens, who's touring uh, the Big Day Out equivalents, which is sort of the Red Hot Summer tours at the moment, playing with Simple Minds this weekend uh, here in Melbourne at some of the big festival shows and has been doing those. And Noise 11 do a good article where John talks a bit about his In Excess days and the Red Hot Summer tour. Can I interject? 
You can. Um, I did see that our Bruce Butler of um, Max Q and Ollie Olsen fame, he had um, bought some extra tickets and he doesn't know who he bought the tickets for to go and see Simple Minds. And he says, if they haven't been claimed, then if you want to go to see Simple Minds, get in touch with Bruce. I want to see Simple Minds because I was thinking of them today. Cause All right, I, well, I, edit that out and then you can go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, no, you're going to hear this first, so there right, you go. okay. All right, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Moving along, uh, there's a couple of podcasts out. There's one uh, on iHeartRadio called Is Kick the Perfect Record? It's a 70-minute deep dive. I haven't heard it yet, but I'm looking forward to listening to it. Uh, but I'd love to hear other listeners out there's feedback on it. Gary Gary Beers also has done an interview with a uh, heavy Scottish-laden accented gentleman, which was called uh, In Excess and Beyond Podcast. It is very heavy on bass guitar lingo and some of the, the amps and all the subtleties of, of a bass guitar, but Gary does also share, particularly in the first half of the interview, some pretty good In Excess and anecdotes and yeah I, I can't help but you know be really impressed sort of with Gary's sense of nostalgia in this last six 12 months I think coming back to Australia and seeing his bandmates has really made him really 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 reappreciate what In Excess was for him and I think that was a good takeaway from that podcast uh, which was called In Excess and Beyond podcast so I, I would say have a listen uh, it is on YouTube so you can get a visual of it also to be there is a Andrew Farris podcast that I found that's about 12 months old. And again, I will post uh, the name and the link to that because I think that's also on iHeartRadio, uh, but might be about 12 months old, but it did come across my desk and I did want to share that that is out there. I also noticed uh, through some media pop-ups and Google alerts that Andrew has co-written a song with an Irish band called The High Kings, a gentleman by the name of Darren Holden, I think wrote the track uh, with with Andrew. Um, And that may see light on an album coming out this year. So uh, again, Andrew, a uh, you know, little little sneaky one, isn't he? He does these little collaborations, doesn't mm-hmm. talk about it a lot, but you know, other people often talk about, oh, yeah, I wrote that with Andrew and, oh, yeah, Andrew had a co-write. And, yeah, yeah uh, very prolific uh, in his songwriting beat. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. also, too, uh, one of the most important bits of news this week uh, was a sad passing. I guess he's a, it's passing of a real-life icon from movies, and that was uh, the famous Apollo Creed, uh, Carl Weathers uh, from uh, Rocky fame, Rocky 1, 2, 3 and 4. Loved it when he went into the ring and coming to America – Sorry, Living in America, the song in Rocky Four, where ironically he dies in the movie, but uh, unfortunately in real life he lost his way at 76, surrounded by lovely fans and 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 family and friends, I think in his last you know period of time. So RIP at 76 to Carl Weathers, who uh, synonymous with any bloke around the world wanting to be, uh, I guess, you know, a boxer and be in that battle uh, royale. Hey, this is Tim Farris. Big shout out to Hayden and B. Also want to say hello to all the listeners and NXS fans. Thanks for listening. I love you, Hayden and B. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. And now it's time for Topic of the Week. All right, B. Well, uh, the year 2000, thank you to Silverchair for uh, introducing uh, that particular time for the country. It's pretty cool being alive when a century ticks over, B. It was exciting, wasn't it? (laughs) Like, where were you? Well, I had an interesting year. I was here in Australia. I was in Melbourne, but I had the chance to go work in Tokyo and Japan. So July the 11th, I moved over to Japan, probably the better part of, you know, four to six months. Probably going to be a bit longer, but, you know, circumstances meant they had some things to do back in Australia. But, yeah, that was sort of significant for me. And then 
Uh, ironically, the Olympics were on, and I had, I was in Australia in Perth for one week of the Olympics, but I was in Japan for the second week. Oh, cool. So, so I wasn't really in as, Australia as in the eastern side of Australia for the Olympics where they were held in Sydney. So what about yourself? Yeah, I was in London. It was the first time that um, London had the big fireworks all along the Thames. So there was a big crowd of us gone down to the embankment and it was very, very exciting. And that's when the Millennium Wheel first appeared as well. Yeah, it was a very exciting time. I just remember as well, gosh, it was awful getting on the tube. Like Everybody in London was on the embankment trying to get into the tubes. It was pretty, pretty, pretty tough. But yeah, what a party night. Fantastic. Talk about the congestion tax doing its uh, work there in London on that particular uh, occasion because oh, you know, wanted it, to yeah. work that day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, look, year 2000 uh, was an interesting sort of period of time, I guess, in society and a lot of our listeners who are of our vintage or our era and uh, and beyond probably remember and have their own experiences. But from an NXS point of view and a music point of view, we thought we'd just do a quick little sort of uh, recap. In the year 2000, these were some of sort of the albums that, that came out that year that were were quite significant, uh, and these 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 bands and artists were contemporaries of, of In Excess, and also you know bona fide artists in their own right. I know uh, you two had All You Can't Leave Behind come out towards the end of two thousand. Radiohead had just come off Paranoid Android in ninety seven, and they uh, well actually OK Computer with Paranoid Android, and uh, they just released Kid A, which was uh, uh, well received uh, in the year two thousand. Uh, we saw the start and the birth of Eminem be around that particular time. We also saw Coldplay uh, with uh, Parachutes come out for their first album. and Yellow. Mm. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, I saw an interview with Noel Gallagher the other day and they, he said that songs are a bit like, he said that Keith Richards said they're a bit like clouds or they're, they're all in the air. You just, you know, they're all there. You just have to pluck them and find them. And he said, and, uh, I think Noel Gallagher said, the first time I heard Chris Martin sing Yellow, I go, Fuck, I should have wrote that. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, um, you know, it was along that sort of sonic yeah, similarity. Gosh, so I, I'll never forget watching that video um, for yeah. Nicholas came out. Wow. Because he walks backwards, doesn't he? No, that's the scientist. He does that. that the, the yellow one's where he's at the beach and he's walking yeah, along. He's and, the beach, but yes. it's very cleverly done in terms of his mouth moving to a slow-mo lyric in time. That's uh, rarest, yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And well, it's raining. You, you say all these really good things. There were actually some real shockers as well because I looked at the um, UK charts for 2000 and Bob the Builder was oh number God. one. Oh, my goodness. The, U- the UK, I'm on record as, as Britain are the, the greatest region in the world for bands, but, gee, they can pull some one-hit um, wonder shit out of their proverbials, can't they? And do you know what else was in the top five at the time? Who let the dogs out? I mean, right. come on, guys. Right. What were you well, let me straighten up. I'll mention a couple of other significant artists. We had uh, we saw virtually the beginnings of Outcast with their album Stanconia that uh, that year. Uh, a great Australian band uh, who really had a, a massive album that did well in Europe and Australia and was universally acclaimed uh, was a band called The Avalanches who had a this very uh, interesting sort of uh, you know hip hop sampled electronic album uh, called Since I Left You, yeah, uh, which was which was huge during the time. Uh, but yeah, I guess when you that new decade or new new millennium you know kicks into you know uh, society, it's almost like a control recheck, isn't it? Where people go, well, there's this new possibility. And you know, around mm. that time, if you remember, B, remember the fear around the Y2K 
Y2K bug for all the computer people out yeah. there. Remember everyone thought the world was going to blow up and, we, you know, bunker down. <laughs> all and, the computers are going to go real yeah, wipe out. Yeah. All, the, all the coders out there, you know, the, oh, we didn't code correctly in 1975. The shit, yeah. we've got to put a digit in. Now we're going to yeah. suffer this, this and that. But Do you remember the G4 cube computer <laughs> by Apple as well? That was very interesting. You talk about those big colourful ones there. Yeah, like, that right. was all like then, wasn't it, in right. 2000, yeah. I yeah. think? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I do I do remember those. My mum got one of those. You get red and green and yellow and all that sort of was, stuff. They were all quite cool, yeah. Yeah. Movie-wise, B, uh, some great movies come in the year 2000. I'm going to start off with a great one that was uh, in the UK called Snatch, okay, which was sort of a, oh. a uh, sort of a, a loose follow-up to Lockstock yeah, similar concept, not a not the same narrative. Is that but, the uh, one that had Brad Pitt in? It did, playing the oh pikey. Oh, my God. Frankie Fourfingers has a diamond the size of a fist. 86 carats. Do you know something that I don't? Jeez, it's flawless. Where? London. London. You know, fish, chips, cup of tea, Mary Poppins, London. What do I know about diamonds? I'm a boxing promoter. I've got a bare-knuckle fight, so I want to use the pikey. Can't you Ah. Uh, what? You're going to have to repeat that. I've got a story about that, actually. Yeah. yeah I, um, I was a beauty therapist in London at the time. I didn't really have too many A-listers, but I had all the different types of people that were around the A-listers. And this girl, she was his um, wardrobe girl, and she had to hold his jacket while he was in the boxing ring, she says, and with, like, the tension, like, everybody was like, my God, he looks so fucking well, he, hot. He, he did a fantastic portrayal of a pikey, didn't he, you know? He did. Uh, and the scowl he did. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. And, and he packed a mean punch. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, and my beautiful late mum, her and I, I remember we went to see that uh, at the Como uh, cinemas where In Excess, ironically, used to stay uh, in the same complex. So there you go. Was that Gorgeous George as well? Gorgeous George might have been in Lockstock, I think, but he was. No, yeah. he wasn't in Lockstock. In so Snatch? I reckon he was in Snatch, yeah. Okay. So, and who is that? Gorgeous George is. Uh, you tell? Very big, big, big actor now. Okay. Well, Jason, not Jason Statham, is it? Oh, God, I'll go look it up. But the one that I loved in that was Dennis Farina, the American actor who uh, was the sort of the the yank coming in and out. And they do this cool little airline, punch the passport, arrive in a scene type sort of snappy sort of thing, typical Guy Ritchie. But the, one of the last bits of, uh, I think, footage in the movie was like, any advice? Yeah, don't go to England. <laughs> <laughs> so I used to love that. But um, moving actually, along. Actually, I was in a bar with Guy Ritchie once. Oh, okay. And oh, Madonna. Mm-hmm. Okay, fantastic. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, it was actually. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'll roll through these quickly for time purposes. We've got Meet the Parents was uh, a year 2000 movie. We have Cast Away, one of my favourites, uh, Tom Hanks on the Beach. Uh, speaking of the beach, we had the movie called The Beach, okay, oh. with Le- Leo. Yeah, and All Saints singing. Yeah. Leo disappeared after Titanic and then came back three years later with the beach. Mm. We also had uh, The Boiler Room, uh, which was a big sort of sales move. We had Gladiator. And we had an awful sequel called Mission Impossible 2 that I remember seeing. I think it was just dreadful. Uh, John Woo, what were you doing? What Women Want with Mel Gibson when Mel was politically uh, correct. Okay. And we had a movie called What Lies Beneath with uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and Harrison Ford, but it was made by the same director of Castaway who deliberately took a year off the Castaway movie so Tom Hanks could lose all the weight 
So when they did this, the scenes post him being on the island for a, a period, they let Tom Hanks lose all the weight for a year. And then the directors, Robert Zemeckis, went off and made What Lies Beneath and they came back and did all the Fiji scenes. I things. never knew that. That's there fantastic. You yeah. There you go. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Some great movies there, though. I mean, The Beach, what a great book that was as well. But Gladiator, oh, my God, that was fantastic. Yeah. Still is. It is. Um, so, straightening up a little bit with Related to In Excess, we, you know, if we go back three or four episodes ago where we were talking a bit about Terence Trent Darby, we talked a little bit about Michael's, you know, solo albums, you know, if we come off 1999, which was very much geared around um, that one-off concert In Excess did at Stadium Australia. Uh, it was a little bit more about Michael in the second half of that year. And things were relatively quiet in the NXS world. There was sort of rumours bubbling around that particular time. Uh, were they going to reform and do something else? You know, the, the 1998, they did the, the mushroom gig. But there was just, you know, murmurings and different things happening. Not too long after, earlier in February, it was announced in February 2000 that NXS would become the house band for the Tim Rice Concert Spectacular, which... Basically, for those who don't know, Tim Rice was generally the lyricist who would write with Andrew Lloyd Webber, a lot of the big productions and things. This particular production, B, uh, was uh, played at all the major sort of uh, big big concert venues in Australia. Uh, David Essex, who you might remember from your youthful days, uh, <laughs> the guy who wrote the song Rock On, one of the great hits in the 70s, uh, who went on to a lot of theatre work with uh, Tim Rice. He came out from the UK. Uh, we had Kate Sobrano from Australia there, Bachelor Girl. Uh, we had Ivor Davies from Ice House in excess. We're like the house band. And effectively they were playing sort of a lot of the rock instrumental stuff for that concert that night. And then I think they had, you know, three or four songs. I think it was a song called The Wake Up Call where maybe Kirk got up and sung and, and added a bit of their own flavour in. But it was sort of a a, a, a Tim Rice sort of uh, song spectacular about all of his music over the years from The Lion King and all the co-writes he did, you know. Did you get to go? I did. I was fortunate enough to go. I think I went early May, uh, the year 2000, when that uh, happened. But what was the most interesting thing, B, was about three days before the concert, opening up our tabloid sort of newspaper, the Herald Sun, and I'm just looking through the entertainment section like I do, and I see this little article going, in excess with John Stevens at Mercury Lounge. And just a normal little thing that you'd see a cover band put in. It was just this little sort of, you know, the three centimetres by six centimetres little thing. And I've gone... Read that again, Is that right? A joke? Am I reading yeah. that again correctly? Yeah. Phoenix is playing the Mercury Lane. So I saw this, I think, concert spectacular, I think on the Friday night. And then on the Sunday night, two nights later, I, I saw in excess at the Mercury Lounge wow. play what was really their first proper gig since Michael, you know, the, you know, Mushroom Aside, Stadium Australia Aside. This was probably the, one of the first sort of major gigs that sort of really gone and done, you know, outside the, uh, the uh, you know, the Tim Rice stuff as well. Um, but I have in front of me, B, and for our listeners, the set list. Can I, can I share yes. it with you? Yes, please. All right. So painting the picture here, turned up with two or three of my mates. The Mercury Lounge was this cool nightclub in Crown Casino, Melbourne. Oh, no. Been there, yes. fantastic. It mm. f- maybe fit uh, fitted about a thousand people, maybe in there. It felt like there was fifteen hundred. It was crammed and packed. Mm-hmm. There fantastic. were people had flown out from Chicago to this particular concert upon hearing it. Uh, friend of the podcast, B, you mentioned earlier, just off off uh, offline. The friend of the podcast, B, Darren Jones, was uh, filming, doing some stuff there that night as he was doing a little bit of stuff working with the band B. And I think that's yeah. in one of our one of our past episodes. Episode, I think a hundred. Is that right? 
Yeah, 100, 100 and 101 with Darren Jones. Yeah. Some great stories there from um, around this time. Yeah. yeah. So the set list, let me kick things off as I as I shall, pardon the pun. They did start off with Guns in the Sky. They went into New Sensation at two, Tasted at three, Time at four, Kiss the Dirt five, Heaven Sent six, Original Sin seven, Mystify eight, Disappear nine, Shine Like It Does. They got Kirk up to sing the vocal uh, for Shine um, Like It Does. Never Tear Us Apart at 11, Need You Tonight at 12. Didn't do Mediate that night. Bitter Tears at 13. Kick at 14, Devil Inside at 15, and What You Need at 16. Had an encore or, or, you know, came off uh, stage, had an encore when they came back on. Number 17, they did Elegantly Wasted, 18, The Love One, 19, Don't Change, uh, which was weird, not being the last one, and they did Suicide Blonde at 20 oh. uh, as the set list. Yeah. Yeah. So a little bit of a mix-up from what, you know, maybe they would have normally done. Um, yeah. But uh, that particular night, the thing that stood out, <coughs> stood out to me was Kirk getting up to sing. Um, just being there in the atmosphere and the love in the room, and John Stevens had an L plate on his. Oh, speaker that's right. On yes, his, on his microphone, he had an L yeah, plate. Yeah, I remember Darren Jones telling us that that you put put that there. Yes. Oh God, I'd love to see this footage. Yeah. And Darren, please get onto it. I know he says he's got it somewhere, but it's not um, digitalized. I don't think. Yeah. Now they then proceeded to. I think that was May fourteenth in year two thousand. Can we just can we just talk about yeah. it a little bit more? So okay. so what was the general atmosphere in there? You say people had thrown in and everything, but like was that what was it? Look for like, me, it me, was you know me. if I, I didn't know more, <laughs> I can speak for my own behalf because I you know it is you know twenty four years ago, but for me it was you know not emotional, but it was quite you know yeah. fi- uh, you know touchy feely feely because. You know, they were on stage together doing something and I don't think I thought they would possibly encounter doing. So it was quite poignant in that sense. It was a blistering gig. You know, they were they really were enjoying being together. They'd probably have said been together coming off the Tim Rice stuff, uh, which I think was close to conclusion at that time. The band, you know, I think they enjoyed doing the Tim Rice stuff, just doing something completely different and Tim was mm-hmm. like, we've never done anything like this before. But I think they were excited to be back in the driver's seat doing what they know they're best uh, mm-hmm. at doing. And did John look comfortable? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, yeah. he's he's a great star in himself anyway, um, even at that point. Um, but, yeah, so he was embraced yeah. by everybody. And, oh, and, that's and, nice. And lyrically-wise, oh. it's not easy, you know, even myself, I still forget lyrics and songs. So to get up there and bang out 20 songs, mm. you know, with not a lot of problems, Probably uh, head time or lead time in was was pretty impressive. And weirdly enough, when when Michael passed and friends used to say to me, "Who would you want to be the singer?" I always had John Stevens because Noise was sort of like my third favorite band. Okay. Uh, so and they broke up in '91. So um, he was always sort of a, a free agent between sort of uh, I guess after '90. Well, '92 was their last gig, so he was a free agent as of '93 onwards. So I always mm-hmm. thought that you know if Inexcess got back together, John would be a good fit. We'll discuss John, you know, in year 2001 and the other tours in, in yeah. future episodes. But, yeah, he felt comfortable. He delivered well. Uh, it was a great atmosphere. Everybody, you know, was pumped. And, you know, it was just good seeing them back together happy. You know, I think that was yeah. the, the, the overarching feeling. Yeah, like you say, emotional but happy at the end of the day that the band were back together. Yeah. But so you didn't um, get to an after party. No, no. I think it was a school night, Sunday night. So, oh, uh, Hayden, if yeah. I was there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I, what I know now about after parties, there you go. But, you know, look, that was sort of the, the thing there. And, 
Um, they did then go to the Metro in Sydney and do the same thing uh, 11 days later. They only played 18 songs and they didn't do Original Sin, etc. Then they didn't do uh, Suicide Blonde. So uh, again, you know, they did the same thing for some of the Sydney audiences and that sold out very, very quickly. I think the theme that I'd like to get across to everybody in the year 2000 is that I think what they effectively were doing and still were going to go on to be doing the next two or three years is they're just taking very, very much baby steps. They were unsure. They weren't probably particularly confident which which direction to go with. They, when, when you lose your front man, you lose a lot of your identity, but you also lose what is, you know, the trajectory of your career and everything's out the window, you know, in terms of sort of what to do. So they didn't have Chris Murphy at the helm uh, navigating sort of things forward. But in some respects, these were important little steps, even if they were baby steps, towards just recognising that, you know, once they decided to get back together full-time and really go and record another album and do the Switch tour and that, that these important steps in the early 2000s were were, were just that, baby steps mm-hmm. towards regaining an identity, a confidence, a clarity as to what to do. Because mm, I think Davo was um, uh, managing them at the time, wasn't he? I think so. Uh, yeah, and look, you know, obviously that had its uh, ups and downs as well. But uh, not long after B, uh, interestingly, uh, they went and played in a place called Jindabyne. Now, Jindabyne is sort of, as you may know, out in the sort of the the snowfields of snowfields, uh, yes, of, of, nice of, place. Of New South Wales. Yeah, and they went and played in August, uh, I think, on the sixteenth and seventeenth at the Station Resort. Again, th- these are unadvertised gigs in many respects. All right, might have had the odd little thing in a classifies, but. They were, they were going to sell them out and just, you know, road tests, you know, just being together again. Um, probably the next significant thing that happened for them uh, in that particular year uh, was that they got to play the closing ceremony uh, at the Olympics. The Olympic ceremonies, as many would know, you know, it involves having the opening and then having the closing. They, they were part of the closing uh, ceremony uh, at the Olympics. I think Midnight Oil were at the closing as well, performed then, uh, that same night. I think Midnight Oil had a very, very controversial sort of uh, T-shirt on saying sorry, uh, which was sort of a message out to the Indigenous, never one to miss an occasion. I think In Excess really had the song What You Need, which was the one song they were able to play as I think they might be going around on a sort of a, uh, from memory, a uh, sort of a, uh, like ACDC on the back of a truck type thing and mm-hmm. going around the sort of the stadium and things like that, moving around. But uh, they did that sort of very elongated version of what you need at the time, which was pretty cool, where they call and respond to the audience. Um, it is on YouTube. You can uh, go out and uh, check that out. Coincidentally, at the same time in the same part of the year, John Farris and John Stevens recorded a song together in terms of writing called Carry the Flame. Uh, which John sung and I think John co- uh, John Farris co-wrote. So that was there around that particular time. And both the Johns had a good tight relationship and, and Andrew and John Stevens. So that, I think, sort of cemented the chances of John Stevens taking uh, those reins. But, yeah, that was around October 1B when they were doing that. So, again, another little baby step in their, in their pathway to sort of reconciliation of uh, performing. Yeah, yeah. It's nice that they all got together and did extra songs as well. Yeah, and, and look, I think what also happened too, they were getting a few invitations to do some corporate gigs. I think they did one at the Gold Coast, uh, Jupiter's Casino, another one at Sanctuary Cove. Uh, probably the next significant thing, and uh, there is obviously a, a little bit of art, a little bit of media out on this one, is that December 31, they actually teamed up with Susie DiMarchi from The Baby Animals. She was famously married to Nuno Betancourt of Extreme. But Susie, in her own right, was a great front woman for The Baby Animals, and uh, there was a big, you know, car event, uh, racing car event on in Adelaide uh, called The Race of a Thousand Years. 
at, yeah, Race of a Thousand Years, and that was on New Year's Eve. And they played with Susie uh, in Adelaide. Um, I don't think it went down super well in terms of what Andrew was particularly happy with. Like he loved Susie, you know, um, she probably nailed the songs, et cetera, there. Uh, Matthew Mars on MM has posted some stuff on his platforms before about that, and I might try to reach out to some of those articles and post them again. But it was a one-off. But, again, I think like Kirk had said with Trent Trent Derby, they're just road testing people. Did it fit well? Like Terence mm. was like, remember, I think he said, I quoted, I think, Kirk on the, the that episode saying that, yep, I think Terence liked being a solo artist and mm-hmm. mingling with a bunch of Aussies. Uh, rockers probably wasn't something he felt comfortable with. Yeah. John Stevens, they're just road testing a bit. Susie's mm-hmm. DeMarchi putting a female at the front to see if that dynamic works well. Again, I think there's arguments to say that could have worked well, uh, but maybe there was just some issues or just just the vibe that may not have just been there. And, and, and again, music and art is such a, a nuanced and a subtle thing. So um, I will dive deep a little bit on some of those things because I think Matt had a very good sort of explanation about sort of that gig and why it didn't go for a second or third attempt with Susie. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That'll be interesting. Yeah. So, well, we'll put that onto our platforms, will we? Yeah, I'll go mm. out and sort of suss that out and sort of get some more deep dive on it because I think Matt had some really good info on it and I don't want to claim it as my own. Yeah, um, I, I know Darren Jones mentions it as well. Yeah, yeah, so, that's right. Yeah, so, if, you, if you go back to those episodes 100 and 101, yeah. maybe there might be some insight there as well. Yeah, and, and some of you might even read them as, look, we're recording this on a Tuesday, so some of you may actually read these posts between now and this podcast coming out. So by the time we're talking uh, in real time for the listeners, B, they've already got the answer. So uh, that that'll that that could. I think a lot of them have got the answers. Correct, correct. <laughs> I don't know why you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, jo- I'm joking. I'm yeah. joking. That's cool. But I, I think if I had to sum up the year 2000 and just going to that new millennium, there, it was a band that had made progress in terms of deciding to continue on. I think what they did with Tim Rice, what they did in terms of the the, the gigs with others and and the fans and seeing fans out there embrace the music and just, I think, realise it's not just Michael, even though Michael was such a figurehead, getting the validation from audiences, doing the Olympics, um, you know, three years after Michael passing and grieving mm. and, and attempting to heal as much as they could, I think they were just at that particular point where they could sort of forecast a future and go, we want to do stuff. And as we'll talk about in the next few weeks, when we get to 2001, two, three, and four, there were some more strides and gains made that led them to sort of create, you know, Rockstar and uh, switch and tour and have another sort of 10 years of touring sort of with us. So, but yeah, a little snappy one today, B. Hopefully we've sort of put everybody in the uh, picture as to what uh, the year 2000 looked like for the band and, and just the progress they have made, uh, as I said, since Mike uh, was passing. Hey, this is Paul Jolly from Sydney and this is The Big Rat. Right, well, that's a wrap today. We're going to go straight into competitions and things that we've got drawn out and uh, maybe just throw to you on that one, B. Okay, everybody, you've got till um, 31st of March to get your entries in and you just need to email the podcast once you've become a patron or you've done a donation and then you can actually go into the hat for me to draw out and win either two tickets to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame of your choice. You can either go this show if even if In Excess got in or not or we can hold them back and you, we can get you two tickets to go when In Excess are inducted, which will be either this year 
or next year, we're hoping. Fantastic. <laughs> if Fantastic. not, we've got a good um, goodie pack. And if you want to see what is in that pack of signed things and all sorts of things, go to our website, inaccessaccessallareas.com, and you can see the video that I made of all the bits and pieces. Yeah, just a reminder, uh, we are, and it hasn't happened yet, but we will, as we sort of forecasted, be putting a panel show together for the patrons, uh, loyal listeners and, and contributors to the show, discussing uh, the Rock Hall of Fame and all things around it because we think we just need to do a little bit of a, a reset and see where all that sits. Uh, so, again, four or five lucky people will be uh, uh, picked. Just uh, send messages to my messenger uh, for that. I sent a message. Well, as mentioned earlier in the show, we've got a little bit of a deep cut today, uh, a rarity. It was a single at the time, but uh, a lot of our listeners and uh, people around the globe may not have heard it. It's called Carry the Flame, written by John uh, Stevens and John Farris. And this was a uh, song that got put out, I think, on the Olympic album of that particular year. A little ballady, a uh, little, little sort of torch song, sort of inspirational. It's not my top 10, B, but no. it's worth a listen to. So as that old famous Aussie said, do yourself a favour, have a listen. Goodbye from me. I haven't listened to it either, and it's a goodbye from B. Goodbye, everybody. Got my heart in your hands, baby, understand.
this is the Dutchie, and you've been listening to In Excess, Access All Areas with Hayden and B.